There's something about eyes, isn't there? You either love treating them or you hate them. And in my experience, a lot of vets hate them. Now, when eyes get really gross and intimidating is when they present as an emergency. And there are few more spectacular looking emergencies than an eyeball that has been popped out of its socket. It may be an easy diagnosis and the fix is not technically too challenging, but I've always found the decision making around them quite hard. Like, should we save this eye or should it just come out? Which is why we wanted to share this episode about proptosis with you. We released a series on ocular emergencies over on the clinical podcasts that we recorded with ophthalmologist Dr. Isaac Venter. Isaac was my ophthalmology lecturer back in South Africa in my student days, and probably the reason that I'm one of the few vets I know that actually likes treating eyes. These days, he is the brains behind Digital Veterinary Ophthalmology Services, or DIVOS, which is an online veterinary ophthalmology consulting service for practicing veterinarians as well as their home of a bunch of really cool online veterinary ophthalmology continuing education courses. Check out their free content at divos, that's D-V-O-S dot C-O dot Z-A for South Africa. Or find him on Facebook at Divos Vets for some really cool tips and insights about those little bags of jelly. And get in touch if you need a little bit of help in your practice with those tricky eye cases. In this episode, Isaac tells us how to make sensible decisions around whether you are likely to save a proptosed eye or whether it should come out. And then gives us some great tips on how to get them back in successfully and keep them in. Check out the other episodes on corneal lacerations and foreign bodies and glaucoma at vvn.supercast.com over on the emergency stream along with all of our other clinical updates. Enjoy! Dr. Isaac Fenter, welcome to the VetVault Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to talk about ocular emergencies. And it's funny how many vets don't like eyes. I'm one of the odd ones. I, I actually quite like it. Uh, and then I, and I had a, we had a conversation with another vet the other night who also is a fan of it. And he says, but his words were most vets look at it and go, I'm not touching those disgusting bags of jelly. <laughs> yeah, that's a problem. Man. You've got this misconception that eyes are unforgiving. But at the end of the day, what about, one of the reasons why I really love ophthalmology is everything's there for you to see. I think I'm way too stupid to do medicine. <laughs> I can't interpret the clinical policy result, but um, for the eye, I mean, it's there. If you know what you're looking at, um, it's actually not that bad, and it's actually not a reason to be that that scared of it. But uh, I think talking about ocular emergencies is a great idea. Because, um, I think these things are, a lot of times, you need to deal with them there and then. Yep. And if, if, if something then goes wrong, yeah, it could be a disaster for the, for the, for the patient's vision. Yeah, because you said there's the misconception that eyes are unforgiving, but there are some conditions that are fairly unforgiving that you have to, you kind of have to do the right thing otherwise. Absolutely. I mean, if you've got a corneal laceration and you don't treat that straight away, that eye is lost. So just to have a, to sketch an outline of what the conversation is going to be like or what are we going to talk about, do you have a, off the top of your head list of conditions that you think, okay, X, Y, Z, these are the things that if you see this at lunchtime or two o'clock in the morning, you should pay attention to this. This is a, an ocular emergency. Yeah, I think the if you look at your list of ocular emergencies, some of them can definitely wait a day or two. We, we still classify those as, as emergencies. But I think the, the obviously the one crucial one that needs to be treated immediately is, is a proptosis. Because if you have a prolapse of the eye, that animal can't blink, that corner is going to dry out. And if you don't lubricate that cornea or get that eye back within half an hour, an hour, 
the amount of exposure keratitis is going to lead to massive ulcers and reflux that die. So I think that's probably, of all the emergencies, the one that is you need to wake up in the middle of the night and go and do something about that. Okay. The other emergencies, the one with what would classically would um, classify as an emergency would be things like an eyelid laceration, eye femur. Glaucoma, um, I'd like to talk a little bit about the emergency treatment of glaucoma if we, if we have time. I'd love to. Because that's also something that, that we are now starting to say, look, we used to say if uh, interrupted pressure is 40, 50 millimeters mercury, that eye's gone. But there's some recent studies that say we should try and get this IOPs down. So glaucoma is another emergency um, that I think needs like urgent attention. Eyelid lacerations, corneal lacerations, corneal foreign bodies. Um, those are the ones, but I think the wake up in the middle of the night and do that is a, is a proptosis. All right, well, let's start with that one because they, again, that's definitely something you see in emergency. If we're talking about an emergency at all times of the night, typically the small dog trying to steal food from the Rottweiler and <laughs> gets rushed to the clinic with his eye popped out. I mean, it's so dramatic. If an owner sees their dog with the proptosis, they're not going to wait till the morning. So that is. But 99% of cases presented as something needs to be done now. Yeah. So prognosis for those guys, that's why, because I, I think, I mean, the obvious thing is you've got to get it lubricated and get it back in and we'll talk about the details. But I always look at them and I go, how do I decide? Is it worth having a crack at saving it or when is it a, when's it a lost cause? When is it an intermediate enucleation? How do we decide on that? I think the first thing is um, if you look at breeds, um, as said, it's normally your brachycephalic. So we're looking at your peaks and your pucks and situs. Those are the guys that normally present the prognosis. And fortunately for them, in those breeds, the prognosis are generally better because it's, they've got these massive eyelid openings, very shallow orbits. So it's actually very easy for the eye to prognose. If you present it with a prognosis in a, another dog, a, a collie or a German shepherd, the prognosis tends to be straight away a lot worse because it takes a lot of trauma to proptose that eye. And then as far as I'm concerned, I, think, I don't think I've ever saved a cat's eye with the proptosis. In cats, the eye is pretty much stuck in that orbit, very difficult to, to proptose. You need a lot of force. And in cats, and that's one of the nightmares in cats, one of the things is in cats, the optic nerve is short, straight, runs from the optic nerve, uh, run, runs from the eye to the optic chasm. If that eye proptoses, there's that optic nerve is going to be damaged. And one of the frustrating things with cats, and I think that's a tip to vets, is, is, is I always warn the, club, the owner, that cat may go blind in the other eye a day or two later because you may end up with, with optic chasm damage as well. So back to your question, your brachycephalic, probably a reasonably okay prognosis, and then your other one's fairly poor prognosis. And then I think the other thing as far as that's concerned is, is um, one need to make, it, make up your mind there's two things that we want to evaluate the eye for. One is what's the potential for the animal to re- regain vision. And the second thing that we evaluate the eye for is, is this eye viable? So although it's going to be a blind eye, we can replace the eye and we're going to have a viable blind eye. So I think those are the two things that we need to take into consideration when we examine these patients. Um, so if we look at what are good prognostic indicators for, for vision, is obviously we, we want to happy, healthy, fresh case, cornea should be should be clear. We don't want ulcerations. We don't want any lacerations on the cornea or the sclera. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if you have an animal with a clear cornea, clear anterior chamber, you can visualize the, the pupil. Um, those are fairly good prognostic indicators. Then traditionally, we used to say we look at pupil size. <clears throat> now, there's a recent uh, publication where 
I reckon that's not really a very true prognostic indicator regarding vision. But I still feel that if we have a patient with a myotic pupil, it's, that's a natural response to pain. So in general, I think those have, the, we know that the, the autonomic nervous system is still intact. Um, so in general, that's, that, I would say that's a good prognostic indicator for vision. If we have a metriatic pupil, more guarded. If you have a total metallated, non-responsive pupil, as far as vision is concerned, that's a poor prognosis. But the most important thing regarding prognosis for vision is, do we have a consensual pupillary light reflex? So in other words, you shine your light into the proptose eye, look at your consensual reflex. If we have a consensual reflex, that means that proptose are retina and optic nerve is functional. Um, so that's the crux. I think if you have a, if you have a consensual reflex, the prognosis for vision is good. Then, as far as if you're now presented with this patient with this proptosis, to be fair towards the owner and the patient, if the prognosis for a viable eye, I'm not talking about a blind eye, but a, if the eye is destroyed, then I would enucleate that there and then, rather than go and replace the eye. And two weeks later, when you remove the sutures, you have this little physical eye that needs to be removed in any case. So one may as well just do an enucleation and get, get it over and done with. And my decisions regarding that would be if there's severe corneal scleral lacerations, yeah, your prognosis is hopeless. Cases with severe high femur, I would, if you have ultrasound available, I would do ultrasound on those eyes. And have a look and see what's happening in the vitreous. Is the, if there's massive vitreal hemorrhaging as well, you're probably going to have retinal detachments. And again, all that hemorrhaging in the vitreous is coming from the surrey body. So that means that that surrey body has been severely damaged. And what's most likely going to happen is two, three, four weeks down the line, that surrey body is going to start functioning. And you're going to have a very low intraocular pressure and the eyeball is going to become physical. And you end up with a small shriveled up the line. So again, if there's an ultrasound major vitreous involvement, I would enucleate. And then the other thing that we look at is the degree of strabismus. If there's more, more, more than three of the extraocular muscles have been torn, again, the prognosis for the eye becomes hopeless. You've got this patient with a severe strabismus. The, the blood supply to the eye runs in the rectus muscles. So in other words, if the rectus muscles are torn, the eye is going to lose a, a huge proportion of its vascular supply. Okay. So more than three is a, is a poor prognosis. So what does that look like? Is the eye that's pointing in a completely wonky direction? Pointing in a completely wonky direction. Um, 99.99% of patients, when they present you with a proptosis, the medial rectus muscle will tear. It's a short, thin, very weak little muscle. So in most cases, you're going to have lateral stupors. So the eye's going to look laterally. Okay. That, that's, that's pretty much a standard um, presenting sign. Okay, so that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. That's actually good. But if the, if the eye is now like literally facing at a 45 degree angle, you know that it's more than just the rectus muscles. The retracted bulby muscle is probably also gone. The oblique muscles are probably also gone. So, yeah, so lateral strabismus, good. If it's like looking complete in the wrong direction, uh, more than three muscles are torn. A lot of times in those cases, you can actually see the torn muscles. The eye is so far proptosed that you can literally see the, the lacerations in the spinal muscles. Which also makes your nucleation a lot easier <laughs> if it's done at first. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, so the eye itself, the proptose eye, you're not worried about papillary light reflexes. It's going to be fixed probably either in a myotic position from pain or something. Though you, you're not, as you say, you're worried more about what the other eye does. 
in response yeah. to like, okay, all right, that's good. You, you virtually, you're virtually never going to get a direct people response in a proctor's eye. That pupils either fixed myotic, um, which is good, or it's just gone. But so, so it's more important to get a consensual. That gives you information what's happening in the proctor's eye. Great. And then you mentioned ultrasound to look for bleeding in the, in the vitreous. So that's behind the lens. Uh, again, I'm going to excuse my, uh, if you say all the ophthalmology terms, I have to double check that I've got, it, got my anatomy right. What does that look like on a scan? Because I love scanning eyes to look behind the eye for abscesses and it's cool to go check out the retina. But what would bleeding in, in the eye look like? Typically, I would just put a drop of local anesthetic on the eye and I would literally put my ultrasound probe, copious amount of jelly, directly onto the cornea. So the acoustic interface that we're looking at is cornea, but you're not really going to see that unless you use a stand of pad. And I don't think it's necessary. So the next acoustic interface is that you're supposed to see is the anterior chamber is going to be anechoic. Then we're going to see a hyperechoic anterior lens capsule, posterior lens capsule, and then the vitreous should be anechoic. Yes, so black behind the lens. You're going to see the little lens black, and then all black. black yep. The yep. So if you see white behind the lens, okay. that is, in a case like that, retinal hemorrhaging. And if the um, retina is detached, we typically get that like gold winged bird wing appearance in the, in the vitreous. So, so if you see anything white then behind the lens, that's, that's abnormal. But getting back to proptosis, uh, I find it's either going to be clear or it's going to be a complete mess. It's going to be this white, completely hemorrhagic vitreous okay, gotcha. on, on the right. So, so blood, on, blood in the eye is, because I'm, I'm used to, emergency vets are used to scanning bleeding abdomens and it's, the blood's black if you look at an abdomen, but you say blood, is it because you're that focused, it's, it's going to add some, some white it's, to it? it yeah. it's, 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 it's white, yeah. Okay. So basically blood on, blood on, on, on ultrasound. The vitreous should be black. If it's white, there's, there's blood in there. Great. That helps a lot already. That's already useful. Tips on, on the surgery. And again, there's heaps of surgery books. We won't get too much into it. But do you cut laterally to make the eyelid bigger, to make the hole bigger, to be able to get it? Well, first of all, tips to get the eye back in because it's gross. As you, have this, you have this eyeball and you're worried you're going to pop it. You don't want to push too hard. How do you get it back in as atraumatically as possible? I think the first thing is this is, this is, this is trauma. So a lot of times we see the ptosis and we just jump, sure, there's, there's something wrong with the eye. I would just make sure there's nothing else wrong, especially periocularly. There may be orbital fractures. So just have a brief examination of the periocular structures. Then the big thing here is obviously GA the patient, clean that eye, and then I would do a lateral canthotomy. So definitely just take your metabolic scissors or tenotomy scissors and just cut the lateral canthus, uh, about a two, three millimeter incision just to open that lateral canthus. Then the big thing here, what people are battling to get their eyeballs back, is what happens when the eye prolapses. The eye prolapses, the, reflectively, the animal's going to blink. So the eyelids are now sitting behind the eyeball. And the retractable muscle is trying to push, pull the eye back, but it can't go back because the eyelids are trapping it. So typically what we would do is after you've done your lateral canthotomy, I would take um, like anesthesia forceps or just some forceps, clamp the eyelids, and then invert the eyelids. So you like open the eyelids and then lubricate the eye, push the eyeball back in. Now, a lot of this, there's going to be resistance because there will be retrobobby hemorrhaging. There's going to be cellulitis. We know that there's going to be a lot of space occupying lesions in the, in that, in the orbit, but you should be able to get the eyeball more or less back into the, into the orbit. And then I think the most important thing here is we need to now prevent that thing from just prolapsing straight away. So I would close my cathotomy, just like a normal cathotomy, simply interrupt the sutures. I like to use something like a, like a six-thought vicryl for that. And then I would do two or three 
temporary tarsorophy sutures, so you close the eyelids. So just put a couple of little nylon sutures through the eyelids, and um, it's when wonderful techniques, but I would just would, like literally do two simple and two, three simple interrupted sutures with nylon. Just make sure you don't penetrate the eyeball that the nylon is not rubbing on the cornea. And I would typically leave the medial third or so open. So I still can get medication into the eye. Yep. And um, then uh, a broad spectrum amoxicillin, cavilonic acid, and a non steroidal anti inflammatory. And I leave those dogs for 10 to 14 days before I remove those sutures. And also before I remove the suture, I think what's most critical there is just take your finger and just try and push the eyeball back into the orbit and compare the two eyes. You should be able to now push the eyeball back. There should be resistance. Because if there's still resistance, that means there's a retroval hematoma that hasn't resolved completely. And if you're going to remove the tarsal office sutures, parts is going to pop out again. Um, so make sure that you have resistance and only then will I remove my, my tarsal office sutures. Your antibiotics and, and anti-inflammatory, that's oral. Are you, is that correct? Are you putting anything in, in, in the eye itself, in that little gap that you left? I tend to just put them on a, on a topical chlorophenicol. Oh, you can use anything. I, I like to use the ointment. So I would just, I'm not really too concerned about infection in this, in this case, but I would put them on a, um, a topical antibiotic. And it's one of, very, one of the very few cases where I actually use an ointment. Um, just to lubricate that a little bit and to get a little bit of an, of an antibiotic into, into the eye as well. But I think the, the important thing here is your systemic medications. You need a systemic non and you need a systemic, a systemic broad-spectrum antibiotic. I'm going to have to ask, because immediately if you say one of the few cases you use an ointment, there's a lot of ointments in general practice. Why generally not ointments? I've got a pee pipe for ointments. Um, I think one of the most common reasons why we give ointments or, or topical antibiotics for a patient would be called ulcerations. And I think the, 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 the things about an ointment is it does have an effect on corneal wound healing to a certain extent. So a drop would be would be less harm, not harmful, but it's 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 not going to retard your, your wound healing. Um, I also find that applying a drop, especially in smaller animals, is a lot easier than applying an ointment. Um, so from that point of view, that's what, that's why I prefer that. And then the other thing is, especially if you have cases, for example, with a conjunctival laceration or third eye laceration, if you use an ointment, the lipid base of that ointment can get into the subconjunctival space and we end up with like lipid granulomas and things like that. So I just, I just, in general, I like, I like my eye drops rather than a, rather than ointment. Okay. So a lot of people are going to have to go to the... The drug group and, and <laughs> long hard look at our shelves at our practices. <laughs> All right, is that it for uh, proptosis? I think that's some some really valuable stuff there. Are there are there things that you see with proptosis that people get wrong commonly, or lots of questions that you, you always get the same question about them, or have we covered most of it? It's normally the same questions. I think the, 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 the tips for vets, I think it's, it's more dealing with the owner than actually dealing with the patient to a certain yeah. extent. And I think a couple of things I really find useful to tell clients. One is um, if I replace that eye, it's not, gonna, it's not a guarantee that that dog's going to see. Because a lot of times they get despondent once the, the animal's blind. So I think that's the one thing. The second thing is the the dog's going to have a strip business. 99.99% of these cases, the eye's going to be squint. So I think a lot of times I just need to warn the owners about that. And then something right, as I said, right in the beginning, is if you see a proptosis, a severe proptosis in something like a cat, warn them. It's not, it's not you with your surgery that's caused contralateral blindness. 
that, that's trauma that happened during the proposals. And I think the owners need to be well informed. I think dealing with the proposals from a veteran point of view is, is straightforward. I mean, it's, it's easy to replace this art. I think it's just dealing with the possible complications with where owners are unhappy with what we've done. And I think that's the main thing. Cool. I'll, I'll add one more thing is don't ever call your pet pirate if he has two eyes because almost guaranteed he will end up having to have an eye removed. The number of cats I saw in England are not cats, dogs. They're called pirate that had one eye and they were named pirate before the surgery. <laughs> If you found that useful, you should go and try out our clinical podcast subscription for free for two weeks over at vvn.supercast.com for three weekly clinical episodes in Smallies, Medicine, Surgery, and Emergency Critical Care. I believe, and our subscribers tell us, that it is the most fun and the most useful continuing learning out there. Useful because you'll actually use it. Try it out at vvn.supercast.com.